Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here, and a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to everyone listening. And thank you so much for your support all year long listening to our show. Um, it's been really fun to see the growth that we've been able to make this year in a crazy Viking season. So I just wanted to start off the show by saying how appreciative I am of all of you who take the time to listen on a daily basis. And I hear from so many of you all the time, Twitter, emails, and everything else. And that's been a really fun part of doing this is just how many people have good questions or comments or interesting things uh, that bring up topics on the show. So the uh, interactive nature of this thing is is very much appreciated. So thank you all for that and uh, hope you are happy and healthy and safe um, for this holiday season. So let's get into the opening drive here before we talk to Steve Palazzolo of Pro Football Focus about what we've learned about the NFL this season. So I want to run through these about two minutes at a time as we do uh, occasionally on the opening drive. And I like to keep it to two minutes so I don't ramble on and make it a whole podcast just trying to update you on what's going on with injury reports. Okay, so let's start out uh, with Adam Thielen and CJ Ham are both questionable. I don't really need to explain Adam Thielen and his value to this thing. I think we've seen it over the last couple of weeks that KJ Osborne is effective as a number two wide receiver. I don't think that he's lost out there like they would have been in previous years with their number threes bumping up to the number two spot. But I also don't think that KJ Osborne is Adam Thielen because Thielen's still one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. And as the Vikings play a team with the truest of true shutdown corners in Jalen Ramsey, Having Adam Thielen back, if he is able to come back, and he did practice somewhat this week, uh, is a big deal to have that other guy that they could target if Jalen Ramsey is all over Justin Jefferson. I, I imagine that they're still going to try to target Jefferson and use different little tricks to get Ramsey away from him, like bunch formations, motion, things like that. But Thielen matching up against other people not named Jalen Ramsey is a hugely positive matchup, um, and it's, I think, one of the reasons for his success is that they've always had a Diggs or a Jefferson that's drawing attention, and then Thielen can just demolish most number two corners. Uh, so we'll see what, what kind of shape he's in when he warms up, because last week he thought that he was uh, going to have a chance to play, got out to warm-ups, couldn't really explode the way he wanted to. So that's going to be a story as we lead up to Vikings and Rams, is just, is Adam Thielen able to go, and then how effective is he? And do not underrate C.J. Ham if he can't play. Now, he's a fullback, so, you know, Questionable means he's playing usually, but uh, if CJ Ham is held out of this game, he has been getting a ton of snaps. And I mean a ton. You rarely see a fullback getting 38, 44, 53 snaps 
in weeks 12, 13, 14, uh, and they're using him a lot at tight end. He was in week 14 at tight end, 14 plays, and this year overall, 94 plays as a tight end, and he's also lined up in the slot 14 times, wide receiver seven times, and they move him around in the backfield. He's a great blocker. I mean, you guys know what he does, but I think there's that element of being able to move him to different spots uh, and and kind of throw off the defense is not used to having a player that versatile. It's a big deal. It's not something that everybody can do. And I think locally, CJ Ham gets his credit, but you know, it's not exactly a guy that's going to be celebrated nationally. That's why on the show, we try to appreciate fullback. So that's something to watch too, big time, I think, because there isn't really anybody behind him. They've tried to fill in the tight end spots with Chris Herndon, Luke Stocker. It has been uh, a pretty much a, a failure there. So CJ Ham's status really matters. All right, uh, our next down on the opening drive here and I already ran out of time I mismanaged the clock so sorry guys um that does happen in Minnesota sometimes Mason Cole placed on IR um so I went back and I looked at guards that we talked about in free agency just to think like was I was I crazy this offseason or did the Vikings have options at guard in free agency that they decided that just we're going to look at all the cornerbacks instead and maybe bring in another nose tackle, which look, Dalvin Tomlinson has been fine, but uh, Matt Filer, who signed with Los Angeles for three years, 21 million is seventh by pro football focus. Kevin Zeitler, who signed for three years, 22 million is 10th. Quinton Spain, who is a bottom of the barrel guy is ninth. Trey Turner, who I was very skeptical of is 28th out of about 60 guards by PFF. And there are failed signings. Of course there are every year where guys get brought in and they don't perform quite the way that they were expected to or people look for that bottom of the barrel signing that they hope turns out to be a big hit and it doesn't work. But the Vikings essentially just punted on trying to find a veteran right guard. And this year we've done the thing that we've done over and over again. And, and, you know, I know there's the definition of insanity thing that everybody brings up but it's also the definition of like just like not being a great front office is to make the same mistakes over and over again and with the right guard position the whole point of the exercise is just there were people out there who could have vastly improved the offensive line and instead the idea was to hope a third round rookie uh, was going to be able to do it and then when Wyatt Davis was not ready and still remains not ready kind of amazingly, honestly, uh, is to just throw a, a tackle in there at right guard. And it would appear now that Mason Cole is out that Ole Udo will come back in, but it could also be Dakota Dozier. And that would also be insanity to continue to bring back Dakota Dozier and have him play. I mean, uh, this is this is a thing that when they look at the totality of how the front office has performed and the decisions they've made, this guard position is one where you have to point to and go, why wasn't this ever been able to be filled and, you know, guard center, uh, the interior of the line. And that will especially be on display as they face off with Aaron Donald. Uh, Andre Patterson is not going to be able to coach on Sunday uh, because he has COVID and Mike Zimmer said he's not doing very well. So, um, you know, hopefully Andre uh, fights this thing and and is okay and, and moves forward. But this is actually a loss for game day because Andre Patterson is responsible for the defensive line rotation. So he's deciding who's on the field on the defensive line. That's usually how it works for position coaches is that one of their major roles 
is to make the substitution. So it's not Mike Zimmer saying, hey, put in Delvin, take out Delvin. I'm sure he discusses that with Kennedy Palomalu, who's the running back coach, but Palomalu is largely responsible for who goes in. Same thing goes for Andre Patterson with the defensive line. So when you see, oh, they're playing this guy at this position, well, that's an Andre Patterson decision. And so now that gets kicked down the line. And, you know, as you look around the league, the NFL just always finds a way to make everything into a storyline. This player's in, this player's out. How will this team adjust to COVID? Wow, they're so heroic in overcoming whatever with COVID. But, you know, when someone like Andre Patterson ends up seriously dealing with the illness here, you sort of pull back and go, man, this thing is dark. Like, man, this whole season, and especially the second half of the year, has been it's really frustrating and sad. And you wonder, like, when do we get the next NFL season? Like, what year? And I, and I don't have an answer for this. It's just expressing frustration. But like, what year do we have where COVID is not taking players off the field, uh, where coaches aren't getting sick, coaches are having to coach from home and Zoom calls and everything? Like, what year is that going to happen? And then that's, you know, just the whole thing is is become... Uh, very tedious and frustrating. And it looks like we, even as reporters, are going to have to go with outbreaks and things like that uh, to doing it virtually again, which was just a a miserable experience last year for trying to cover the team. So, you know, I guess guess I'm just complaining about it. I don't really have any solution, but uh, Andre Patterson is an older guy um, and you just hope that he's okay uh, in dealing with COVID. And the Vikings already had a player end up in the hospital this year. So, you know, as it continues to to spread and we continue to push forward with the football season, there are times where you look at it and go, oh, man, what are we doing here? Uh, speaking of which, Taysom Hill is not going to play for the Saints. So they're down to their fourth quarterback, which somebody on Twitter reminded me of the 1999 New Orleans Saints who had to go to four quarterbacks and one at the end of the year on their fourth quarterback, which was Jake DeLome, who turned out to be a really good quarterback for the uh, Carolina Panthers. And that team for New Orleans had Danny Warfel, Billy Joe Tolliver, and Billy Joe Hobart, which has to be a record for Billy Joe. So Ian Book, who was a guy that I looked at at the Senior Bowl a little bit, uh, and Sage Rosenfels actually worked with him, former Viking quarterback, who if you've listened to the show for a long time, you know Sage. Uh, He actually worked with Ian Book in the offseason. He's a really good athlete, but I don't know if he's ready to play starting quarterback in the NFL. And here's another break for the Vikings in the playoff race. And that's why as we get to the end of the year, if you miss the postseason, there's just no excuses. There's no talking your way out of it. There's no pointing any fingers. It's everybody failed because the entire league gave you so many opportunities, including now the New Orleans Saints having to play with four quarterbacks. If you miss a playoff spot in the seventh seed to a team that had to play four quarterbacks, you should just be ashamed of yourself. There's no, like, I don't care if you missed field goals at the end of games or whatever else like that. That's just a complete failure. Um, so anyway, last thing, Christmas day always would represent video game day for me as a kid growing up. And there was a blue wire tweets, our friends at blue wire that tweeted out like, what's the best football game ever. And for me, it's ESPN two K five, uh, tech mobile three, I think was the best version of tech mobile, Uh, And then if you're a little bit younger then NCAA 2014 is an incredible game. And hopefully at some point it comes back, but it was always a great time to 
kind of get, you know, run downstairs, open up the presents, and there's always a Madden there, or the 2K5 when that came out, really wanted that game because of the great reviews, and then, you know, run in, throw it in the system, start playing it, and by the time you get to Christmas, you're late in the NFL season, so you've been waiting all year for this, right, Uh, to get in there and get to the new features and everything else, so uh, I wish you the type of joy that I had growing up getting that video game on Christmas Day. So thank you again to everybody who has listened this year. Steve Palazzolo from Pro Football Focus coming up next to talk about what we have learned this season. And I will talk to you again after Vikings and Rams. We'll see you later. Steve, uh, you're wearing your moose sweater. Um, It's just, this is probably, I think, an elite Christmas-style sweater when you can bring in an animal that is not necessarily related to Christmas, but it's just large and has antlers. And so it is suddenly a Christmas animal, stamp it on a sweater, and then off you go. Yeah, as long as you have the Christmas tree there, you know, it kind of pulls it all together. You get the green and some reds and all that stuff, and you get yourself a Christmas sweater. So I only get to rock this a couple times a year, so you got to take advantage here, you know, got to take advantage. Well, you, I, I would love to see the size of this Christmas sweater because you're six foot nine. Uh, this has to be this like this almost like a could Christmas be a blanket moose for flag. others, yeah, <laughs> for most people. Uh, well, I wanted to compliment you first before we get going. What you and uh, Sam Monster are doing um, for charitable causes with your show, which included you guys going to the University of Cincinnati and having you, a former minor league baseball pitcher, throw him pitches and have him whiff on almost all of them except for. One infield pop fly. Uh, yeah. It was a re- it was a really fun bit, uh, but uh, people should go check out your show because it's great. But also get involved in the things that you guys are doing um, to give back and even help with the the Kentucky uh, tornado effort too as well. Yeah, appreciate it. I mean, it, it started out this whole thing started out innocently where Sam was like, "Hey, you should pick out your hair." Because uh, I used to have a, I could pick out my hair into a huge afro. I said, "Ah, oh, give me a thousand dollars and I'll do it." And he's like, "Okay, I'll raise that money." And I was like, oh, well, I'm not taking the money. We'll give it to charity. And we've had five charity drives doing fun stuff on top of it. Um, this was supposed to be Sam's, like, quote, unquote, punishment, trying to hit against me. Turns out it was my punishment because my arm was sore for a week. I only threw 73 for 74 miles an hour. A little embarrassing. And I uh, couldn't throw strikes. Hadn't been on the mound in a while. But it was a lot of fun. We had, we've been having a lot of fun with all of it. Hey, I think that if you're still getting it uh, over 70 miles an hour and if you haven't pitched in a really long time, because uh, it goes away fast. I mean, it's just like anything else. Like I like to jog and stuff. But if I go two days without jogging or three days without jogging, the next time I go out there, I'm pretty winded. So uh, I think it's the same way with your arms. So I was still I was, impressed. I was hoping it was going to be like the rookie. Uh, was it Morris or whatever his name was, where he just like, I mean, he was throwing batting practice every day, but after eight years off, his arm was healthy and he was throwing 98. I was hoping eight years rest would, would help me go the other way. And I'd start throwing a hundred, but that, it just didn't happen. There just so happens to be a Cincinnati red scout just wandering by like, who is <laughs> right. this giant man? Right. Oh. Exactly. Putty, putty, I'm gun. quitting football and I'll go back. We'll go back to double A here. Don't worry. 88. <laughs> 92. Who is this guy? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I didn't really live my dream, but uh, um, it was a lot of fun. No, not exactly. But uh, it's it's great what you guys are doing. And, and of course, I really enjoy listening to your show. And I had an idea of just uh, kind of being as we approach the very end of the year of talking about kind of what we know about the NFL now. And I wanted to start with I know that every year we enter 
thinking that the NFL has amazing quarterback play and that all the teams are set at quarterback except for maybe one or two, but everybody else, they know who their guy is. And then one year later, by December, we're always going, uh, let's see, that's about 13 teams who need a quarterback. And I wonder what you think of just the state of quarterback play this year because uh, maybe it was empty stadiums or maybe it was referees not calling holding at all uh, in 2020. But it feels like the environment has been much tougher on quarterbacks this year. I, I was interested in your thoughts. Yeah, it, it, it's definitely not a great year for overall quarterback play. Um, and, and it's not that it's been bad across the board, but you also just you don't have that like standout elite season. I think Aaron Rodgers was a clear number one last year and Lamar Jackson and Russell Wilson in, the, in 2019 and Mahomes when he was healthy and Mahomes in 18 and, and Drew Brees and Tom Brady for, for years, right? Just head and shoulders above uh, another tier of, of, of quarterbacks. I, I, I really think what we might be entering, though, is this world that I envisioned a few years ago that could be coming to pass, which was when Brady gets too old, when Aaron Rodgers gets too old, when Drew Brees is gone, Peyton Manning, right? All those guys, like I think there's a pretty clear, those were the top four guys for 10 to 15 years overall when you look at it. Then there was a next tier of guys, I think, the Ben Roethlisberger's of the world, the Matt Ryan's, I think Russell Wilson's been in there, right? But but those guys start to get a little bit older, and you don't know who that who's in that number one overall tier. I kind of envision this world where the quarterback play, a QB one to twenty five, is closer than ever. And, and I don't know if that's the case necessarily this year, but there's probably elements of that because Mahomes hasn't played at that same level this year. Rodgers has played at that level at times, but let's not forget he's had some duds in there as well. Tom Brady kind of started out at an elite level. He's leveled off recently. So there is no clear standout. Deshaun Watson was kind of at that level last year. He's not playing this year. So to me, it's like it's like quarterback parity a little bit. And then I think the then you go to like the next, you know, you know, tiebreaker, which is like, okay, how do you support these guys? How what do you put around these quarterbacks? So I, I think it, this would be fun, right? Like if this is what the NFL was, if you didn't have a true like Hey, Patrick Mahomes is going to be in the Super Bowl for 10 out of the next 12 years. If, you, if that didn't exist, it would be a pretty fun NFL. And I think we're seeing elements of that where this year, where because there's no quarterback just straight dominating and carrying a team, you can look around and say, who's the best team in the NFL? And it changes every single week. And there's crazy upsets. And I think that's just kind of where we are. Now, on the bottom end of that, as far as the teams like, hey, 13 teams need a new quarterback, that's the interesting one to me because I also think we're at this point where – I don't know. I think there's enough starting quarterbacks to go around, but do you want one of those lower end starting quarterbacks? Like Daniel Jones is a starting caliber quarterback in the NFL, but do you want him to be your guy going forward? I keep using, I always use Marcus Mariota as an example. He's the backup for the Raiders. He's he's a top 30 quarterback in the NFL, in the world, right? I mean, he's a starting caliber quarterback. So I think finding a starter might be easier than ever, but finding a guy that you really want to hit your wagon to, I think that's like figuring out where that cutoff point is, is the tricky part. Yeah, I, I mean, how badly would like New Orleans like to have Marcus Mariota at that point? They're probably like a 10-win sure. team if they right. ended up having him. Um, and I still thought that Denver should have traded Teddy Bridgewater to New Orleans because apparently there was interest there, and I think that would have mm. worked out for, for both teams. Um, but I think you make a really interesting point, and I, and I wonder if we've learned that in a way there is a next sort of that thing. Um, I don't know if we recognized – by Peyton Manning's second or third year that he was going to be Peyton Manning for his entire career. Like we knew he was good, but Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow, it feels like 
there's there's this same thing that was in the AFC forever, where it was Roethlisberger and it was Rivers and it was Brady and 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 Manning, and those guys were just going to be there at the end of every year. And it feels like we've learned that Herbert and Mahomes and Burrow are going to be there every year. Uh, is that is that too much to say about uh, Burrow and Herbert that they have the potential to be those guys in the AFC for the future? Because I I mean I I feel like I want to kind of go there. Yeah, I, I don't think it's too much to say, but then I would throw Josh Allen's name in the mix and Lamar Jackson's name in the mix, right? And then when you look at that, the the phrase I always use is that, you know, quarterback growth isn't always linear. This isn't a game of Madden where, okay, Justin Herbert's this good in year two. Imagine what he'll be in year five. Imagine if you said that about Lamar Jackson after year two when he won his MVP. Um, Lamar Jackson's regressed a little bit this year. And maybe it's unfair to even call it like regression as in it's just there's there's natural ups and downs in players' careers, it's not always uh, perfect. So that would be like my only caveat to that. It's like, all right, let's see a little bit more of Herbert. Let's see a little bit more of Burrow before you establish them in that mix. But I think that is, it is an exciting time in the AFC for sure. Because again, Mahomes, he's special regardless of what the PFF grade says this year. He's a special quarterback. He's got three elite seasons under his belt. Herbert and Burrow look like they they are that next, uh, the next young guys that are going to be a part of that um call it top eight tier, top eight, top eight, top 10 group of quarterbacks. But then you have Lamar Jackson, you have Josh Allen, right? I mean, Allen's had his ups and downs. Lamar's had his ups and downs, but they're capable. They're capable of getting out there and, and carrying a team. And um, even just what Mac Jones is doing in New England, playing efficient football as part of an overall uh, pretty solid team. Like he deserves credit for that. Nobody thought the Patriots were a great team coming in. Like that, the narrative cha- has changed a little bit. Mac Jones has been a part of their success, you know? So, I, so I think we're at an intriguing time where there's a lot, again, there's a lot of capable quarterbacks and then there's guys like a Burrow or a Herbert. They have shown some star power and I think they do have that potential to, to be those top eight to 10 guys uh, yeah. in that mix, you know, for the foreseeable future. And it's funny from a Vikings perspective, how many of these guys are in the AFC? They just, I mean, it could be random that way, but I mean, you have Kyler Murray, of course, in the NFC. And then after that, though, it's like we don't know. Well, Dak, Dak Prescott, but yeah. like, where is Russell Wilson playing? Is Jimmy Garoppolo actually good? Which seems like a, a PFF debate. I've always leaned on the side of Jimmy Garoppolo is actually good. Um, and part of it for me, and maybe this is just sort of a surface level thing, but every time the guy's out, they're horrible. And every time he's in, they're good. And it seems to right. be a pretty big difference between whoever. The, but then again, when he's out, uh, San Francisco geniusly had Nick Mullins as their backup. So that would kind of skew that number. But I mean, you have a guy who operates that offense like really well, it seems. And every year he's healthy, they're in it. Uh, but I'm not going to say he's like a, a Joe Burrow, who I think has kind of carried Cincinnati with his play. I'm not sure they have great coaching. Uh, they do have good weapons, but they don't have a great line. Like you could see where Burrow can overcome things, but someone like Jimmy Garoppolo can't. And maybe there is a, a future where there are half the league is guys that are between uh, an eight and a nine and, and no one's really a 10. Maybe it's Mahomes or maybe it's not. And it ends up being coaching that sort of emerges. And, And I feel like this year more than ever, when I'm just watching football, if I see a poorly coached team versus a a well-coached team, um, I'm feeling like there's a bigger gap than maybe ever. Yeah. And and here's it's, it's just a, it's a fun discussion. You know, like on the Garoppolo stuff, I would say 
if you, you know, I don't know how much we, uh, are we allowed to talk about QB wins? I feel like you, you always have the safe space to talk about quarterback wins. Yes. If you just want to use wins and losses, you know, I mean, Garoppolo, he's wins over 70% of his games that he starts, right? The Niners win those games, which is why I thought when people were criticizing Kyle Shanahan, I'm like, when he has his starting quarterback that he handpicked four years ago, they win 70% of their games. When he has Nick Mullins and CJ Beathard, he doesn't. It, but when he has Nick Mullins, he creates offense, right? Mullins had something like the most passing yards in the first 16 starts outside of Mahomes. So that's like that disconnect, right? Garoppolo wins. The team's different. But Shanahan always gets the most from a production standpoint out of his guys, So, which is fine. Uh, but I think that shows the importance of coaching and, and the importance of uh, scheme and, and system. And, and, and the thing I would add to that is think about a lot of the storylines this year, like, oh, the Chiefs have been figured out or – or the bills are getting figured out or whatever it is, which is just called the NFL, right? Like the chiefs have been tearing apart the NFL for, for three plus years now. And all of a sudden they started doing different things schematically. I mean, that's just called the NFL, right? They adjust, right? Nobody's been, people have thrown everything at Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers through the years. They didn't just let it, but they, but they've been able to, you, you haven't seen a drop off in their uh, production because they know how to adjust. They know how to handle two high coverages and single high coverages and man and zone and all that stuff. So that's where coaching does come in. Coaching's not like I've got this playbook that is special and, you know, shiny and no one else has these plays. It's knowing how to adjust to what the league is doing to you and that back and forth. Right. So I think that's why coaching is important. Right. So um, that's one of the narratives on, on Sean McVay, right. His offense is always good and then it slows down and people adjust to it and he doesn't have a, he doesn't have a curveball. He doesn't have a counter punch. Um, so I think that's where the coaching really comes in. It's not that, you know, guys have like a special set of plays that the rest of the league doesn't have. It's, it's having adjustments to what defenses throw at you. And I, I do think it's maybe more important than ever. It, it's still a pass first league, despite what we've seen these last few weeks. It's a pass the ball, stop the pass type of league. And the, the, the coaches who could figure out how to efficiently pass the ball, or I think are always going to put their team in a better position to succeed down the road. And there's a, a different element too with coaching and how much they get out of their quarterback is how much you kind of allow your quarterback to do. And I think that this is the Jimmy Garoppolo part. And there's there's also like video clips of Jimmy Garoppolo spinning around all weird and <laughs> under pressure. And I yeah. you know, I don't think that he's good at all when things are are thrown off. But also if it's third and long, he has this really quick release and he's got the arm, like he's got the arm talent. Um, to convert third downs, which I think is just such a big deal. Uh, and if you have an offense that gets you in good situations and then it all kind of comes together. Um, but it's always interesting to me, like the positions that coaches put their quarterbacks in and what they ask them to do. And I think that um, just when I was in Chicago, I saw an offense that asks Justin Fields to do a ton when Justin Fields cannot do a ton at this point. Right. Um, I see every week an offense with Kirk Cousins that just tries to get him as many easy open throws as they can because they know there's no real playmaking there um, that he has to roll out and things like that. And I think that all these things, when you're trying to evaluate what you're doing as a franchise going forward with your quarterback, like the Vikings are, you kind of have to consider like how much have we, have we gotten as a franchise, if you own the franchise, have we gotten everything out of this quarterback or is it something we can do with our coach to get more? Is it something we could do with our roster to get more? Because those things 
when it's not just the quarterback carrying everything, it feels like that slider goes up a little bit more. But then there's always the cash considerations, uh, to use baseball terms, cash considerations, yeah. which is you got to pay the good ones a lot of money, and that makes it a lot more interesting. And and this this like balance is so hard to strike because if you end up with Daniel Jones or Marcus Mariota and, and you draft that guy and say he's our future, I mean, you're just going to be – mediocre or bad for a while and i think that you know vikings fans are having this nightmare all the time of like well but can we just get a guard and get more out of cousins because if we draft a guy and he's not good then we're in a lot of trouble it is uh it's just a tough you you just you went through all of the emotions of like the middle class uh quarterback which i think cousins you know cousins is like upper middle class maybe um pff grades have him better and better this year but i don't think you're set you but you know you're you're not putting everything on Kirk cousins to to carry the team right like you would maybe another quarterback the one other interesting dynamic as we talked about garoppolo though and even what the rams did i think the uh sean mcveigh with the rams and kyle shanahan with the 49ers and they took chances this offseason and the niners went traded up and drafted trey lance and the rams went out and traded for matthew stafford so they were actually both in the boat of, I've got a good enough quarterback. I've got a guy that I've had success with, but I need more because that's because I, I need to find that edge. And there is an edge. And again, having a top eight quarterback rather than say quarterback nine through fifteen. But I don't know how. It's just tough to like, define who those guys are at this point. And even Cousins, um, again, I think he does some some really good things. I think you could also say in a in a play action heavy system with an elite playmaker like a Justin Jefferson, two elite playmakers really with Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. Yeah. He's a good you know, guy to go out there and distribute the ball. But do you want to have a whole bunch of third and longs over and over for Kirk Cousins? Probably not over time. You don't want that with anybody. Uh, but again, you could trust probably Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady to make those plays a lot more than you can Cousins. So it's a tough dynamic. The other end of that is what if teams just embrace this Uber pass heavy, pass heavy attack, not because it's going to work every single week, but because the payoff is greater, right? If the, if the Vikings said, forget about it, it's not Dal- it's not a Dalton-driven offense anymore. It's a Kirk Cousins-driven offense. He's going to chuck it around 40 to 50, 50 times every single week because the payoff of trying to feed Justin Jefferson or Adam Thielen when he's healthy, the payoff is incredible. We could put up 30 a game if we did that. If you can handle a few ugly games in there, the payoff of like a uber pass heavy approach, even when it doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't necessarily make sense to do it with Kirk, but I think the payoff is out there and incredible. I don't know if teams are bold enough to do that, but uh, that's an interesting dynamic for me. And I think getting away from this comfort level of like, I got to run the ball X amount of time because that's why the Vikings play these one score games because they, they play up or down to the game situation and to their level. I wonder if they would just, if they embrace this volatility and say, hey, we might get blown out along the way here, but we could also go on that that coveted Flacco run, right? Remember when the NFL was like, you just need a guy to get hot. What if you went on that coveted Flacco run and you you pushed for that high-end variance and just said, Kirk, try to carry us, whether you can or not. Uh, that's always just like a fascinating debate for me on how teams should maybe handle uh, game theory. Yeah, and uh, on the show, we had the lean into the Kirk movement, which was like, look, this <laughs> yeah. ru- this running thing on second and 10, it's not working. Can you just you know lean into Cousins? And if he throws four picks in a game and you lose by 30, 
who cares? Like right. uh, your, your payoff is going to be greater. The thing is that through along the way, we've sort of had test cases for this. 2018 was one of them, but earlier this year, Delvin Cook gets hurt. And then Mike Zimmer sort of realizes like, man, we just got to throw the ball because our defense isn't as good anymore. And Daniel Hunter got hurt and everything else. And the test case came out kind of how you'd think where he plays this great game against Green Bay and beats them at home. And then, you know, right after that, it's like, oh, wait, wait, where did where did Kirk's great play go in San Francisco? And, and then it's always sort of been that way. And, you know, I, I feel like one thing that I've learned about the Vikings through this year is that it just there's a lot of different ways that you can get to the same place. And, you know, I looked at the Vikings expected win loss based on their uh, you know point differential. And guess what? It's the same as their record. It's 500 right where they are. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's kind of like, kind of like last year, same, same as where they are was right around 500. Like maybe there was another win or maybe there wasn't, but it's kind of been who they are and you have to break out of that somehow. And it just doesn't feel like the answer is there with Zimmer and cousins, uh, no matter like what route you try, wh- whether you try the route of like, Hey, let's have him throw more. Let's have him push the ball down the field to Jefferson more. Hey, let's, let's try to do this, that, or the other thing is you still kind of end up hoping to hang on to the seven seed. And that just feels like they're they're If they continue to go this way, they're signing their fate. But also I think the Raiders deal with this too, with, with Derek Carr, where it's like walk away from a guy that good. That's not an easy thing to do when you pull up the PFF grades and you see he's a top graded quarterback and you look at the box score stats and see, well, his quarterback rating is really good. Like it, maybe we could just, and what if we just, and how about we do this thing? Like that, that that's that has like been my life for yeah, several it, years now, Steve. I do a radio hit down in Mississippi where there are a lot of Saints fans every week and they're like, Hey, what if Derek Carr was available and you gave him to Sean Payton? Right? I mean, that's the dynamic of the NFL too, which is the Saints would love to have Derek Carr, where the Raiders are sitting there like, Man, you know, we thought he was the guy, but I don't know. Do we try to get better? Same thing with like if you gave I'm, I'm not like a Jared Goff apologist or anything, but I, he went from a really good situation to one of the worst, so he's not really performing. But there's probably 10 teams that would have taken Jared Goff this offseason where the Rams are like, no, we've got to move on from him. Um, a bunch of teams would take a Jimmy Garoppolo where the Niners are trying to say we have to upgrade. So it is just a, a fascinating discussion on you know what what do you do and how do you handle it and where does my guy rank? But I think that's... But I think that's the balance, right, which is uh, Kirk and Stafford. I, I think they're tier three quarterbacks historically. And, and for me, tier one is elite, carry the team. Tier, tier two is they can handle uh, adverse situations and still produce. That's your Roethlisberger's and Philip Rivers and Matt Ryan's of the world. I think Kirk and Stafford are tier three quarterbacks. It's They're, they're very much driven by their by their circumstances. But then the question is that debate you have, what are the circumstances that we're going to get the most out of him? Not just in passer rating and, but in wins, right. And in, in putting them in position to, to win and strategy, finding what that balance is, is a challenge when you have a tier three quarterback. And I think that's just where so many quarterbacks are in today's NFL. Yeah. I think that uh, when it comes to the wins thing, there are people who look at it through the lens of the franchise versus the people who just like look at the quarterback. 
So if you have a team that has a very good quarterback that is always 500, like a Derek Carr, for example, I like to put it through his lens because he's so similar to Cousins and their franchises are similar, uh, yeah. save for the Vikings got to keep their coach this year. They didn't have to right. fire him. It, but the but same thing where they're like decent every year. Um, but, you know, no one in Minnesota thinks about the Raiders. Like that's kind of a point to, to make. Um, so whether he's good, yeah, he is he's definitely good but their franchise is not even relevant with him as a quarterback. And so your franchise is not winning with him as a quarterback over a big sample. So whether, whether he has good quarterback rating or PFF grade kind of almost doesn't even matter after a certain sample, because you seem to not be able to do what it takes to win with this quarterback. And that's kind of Detroit where, I mean, Stafford's had a great year, but I would defend Detroit's moves all day long to, to move on from him. Because there was like you, you couldn't figure out how to win with him as your quarterback under those circumstances over a long period of time. So you have to go in a different direction. Um, I wonder um, if we've also learned this year, as just like beyond the quarterback discussion, that uh, the analytics are winning when it comes to NFL teams believing in them as far as in-game decisions. I, I kind of wrote about this uh, the other day about whether an elite Madden player could. Um, do as well or better than NFL coaches. And I think, you know, the answer is like by the numbers, of course. Uh, yeah. But every week now I see it more and more. I think coaches are getting it. And I also think that this becomes, it becomes a Mike Zimmer issue more than it's ever been. Uh, because if you're sort of swinging in the dark, you're going to hit some, um, you know, Mike Zimmer is not Sam Monson where he's swinging and missing at every Steve Palazzolo pitch, but <laughs> But he's kind of mid league, you know, middle of the league, and then you have other guys who are sort of breaking the game, um, and they're winning because of it. And I just, I, that's a, I think that we've learned that that like this is not going away. Like if you're angry online that people are going for it on fourth down, you're going to continue to be angry for many years to come because more people uh, are adopting this. And if the Vikings change coaches, I think it's got to be a question in the interviews from the ownership is like, how do you think about fourth downs? Because they're just they're they're a, a you know a code that you can crack and get an advantage over a long period of time. Yeah, I haven't read your article by the way, but heard it was fantastic. Heard good things. Um, but yeah, I mean teams have obviously embraced it. Um, so and it's funny because the analytics community is still trying to like fight back against the you know mad online folks, and it's like it doesn't it doesn't really matter. I mean the people in the buildings go through this and they say, look, we're going to increase win probability if we go for it. I think the easiest way to describe it, though, is think about how much effort. I mean, every front office person, every coach, they sit there every day in the offseason and they, they open the laptop every day, presumably. And it's like, how can we get better? How can we make our team better? Is it my backup guard? Is it my, my nickel? You know, where's my roster? Who's on the waiver wire? Who might get released? Who am I going to trade for? Who am I draft? All the hours that go into drafting players. Hours upon hours upon hours that go into drafting players. And then you have something simple, which is like, go for it. All you have to say is go for it. And you're going to increase your win probability by 3%, right? And then you're going to, you have another decision later, and you're going to increase it by 4% and then increase it by 2%. After all, that's easy. That is an easy win to do that, assuming that you trust the numbers, right? That you trust that the numbers are telling you uh, that the win, like that the win probability increase is actually true. Uh, so to, so to me, it is like this. Yes. When you're looking for a coach, that should be a no brainer. That should be a part of it because it's, it's an easy win. 
Um, and I think you look at a guy like uh, John Harbaugh, who gets a lot of credit for making those decisions, but it's because he understands them. It's not because he's like, oh, the spreadsheet said, go, let's go. He can get out there and understand, this is why we went for two. This is why we went for this fourth down. This is the payoff. This is what happens if we don't get it. So it's just trying to understand. Um, and then it becomes, well, if the competition's doing it and they're increasing their edge and you're not, you're falling behind. It's just the, it's just the nature of it. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it's, it's being embraced around the NFL and he's doing be embraced even more because, you know, teams are benefiting from it. Yeah, well, and what I like about this, um, as someone who sort of thought that this was the way it would go for, I don't know, like maybe as long as we've ever talked to each other, Steve, I, I'm sure yeah. that I thought this 10 years ago. Uh, but John Harbaugh being the guy who sort of leads the charge here, like he's got a ring, even with not a, not a truly elite quarterback, he won that ring. He has had two different quarterbacks that he's gone you know, whatever, 13 win seasons with, like, this is one of the league's great coaches and he's doing this. It's not like when Chip Kelly came in and had some success right away and then people went like, oh, well, the league will figure it out. And then it did. Um, so it's not like, oh, this crazy weird mastermind has come down from Mount Analytics and now he's running the league. Like, no, it's John Harbaugh. The guy's been the coach forever. He just has adapted along the way. Um, I, I want to just ask you what you've learned this year. Like, as we've been talking about this, the thing that maybe you came into the season saying, I wonder how this is going to go. And then now, you know, I think the Chiefs thing is interesting because it, it, it did seem like I think what I think we always get into this offseason paralysis by analysis where it's like, oh, we know Mahomes is elite. We know the Chiefs are elite. Therefore, they'll be elite and they'll go through 17 games without issues. And I think what I've learned is you always get reminded that teams who win Super Bowls don't just go undefeated, don't have, uh, you know, they have issues, right? And the last time the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, they had issues, right? They uh, they went through a lull. They had uh, Mahomes injury and all that stuff. They went through adversity, right? Bucks are going through adversity right now. The Packers have gone through adversity and kind of maybe come out the other side. So I think you forget that a little bit. As far as like a learning, it, it, I'm trying to balance the importance of depth. Because uh, again, thinking about offseason analysis, it's like, here's this team starting lineup. Who has the best starting lineup? These are going to be the best teams. And now we're in December, and there are guys that most fans haven't heard of starting a tackle and starting on the defensive line. And there were some incredible names. You know, Khalid Kareem making one of the biggest plays of the weekend for the Bengals, right? I mean, there are some incredible names making impact plays around the NFL right now. So I'm trying to figure what I'm trying to figure out if I've learned or not and trying to balance how important is that depth? Because I feel like you, you forget about it every offseason, and then you get into the year and it's like, Oh, depth wins, you know, battle of attrition in the NFL. So I'm, I'm being reminded of those things. Um, and I think maybe it's an exciting thing as we, because I love team building season. I love to talk about how teams are constructing their roster. And maybe it's something I'm going to think about more next year. When we think about the depth across the roster, who are these players that you're going to rely upon randomly at some point during the season that are going to have far more impact than you anticipated back in August. Yeah. And I think that's what we went through with the preseason where Mike Zimmer was basically saying, look, if anyone gets hurt uh, on our defense, we're in a lot of trouble. And that's basically been the case is yeah. that, you know, a few players got hurt and uh, they're finding a way to patch over that in some games, but in others, um, you know, they can't get a clutch stop or whatever else because you can't just, uh, you know, you can't just sign random corners off the street and then have them shut down Amari Cooper in key situations and so forth. Unless you're the Bears, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> like on Monday Night Football. 
Yeah. Like, Shut down versus uh, why wasn't he throwing the football <laughs> to those open receivers? I don't that's, know. That's um, the one thing I'm trying to figure out if I have learned, though. Is it easier to hide corners in today's NFL? Because a lot of teams are playing more zone. And it's one of those things I want to investigate a little bit more this offseason. Have NFL coverage decisions put more, more of the onus on linebackers and safeties rather than corners? Um, using the Bears game maybe as a small example that they're able to kind of make do you know, with, with lesser names there. Uh, I'm wondering if, if that might be the case around the league here. Okay, yes or no before we wrap up. Uh, you think the Vikings are making the playoffs? Yes, definitely. They're, go- they're definitely. getting in there. Wow. Yeah. No, nothing's uh, definite. Every team's got seven <laughs> wins in the NFL right now. But, yeah, they're, I'll say they make the playoffs. Okay, well, I've been in that camp too, but they've got to get an upset against the Rams or the Packers to get there. And, and you know, we'll, we'll see. So uh, Steve Palazzolo, one of my favorite people in the world, PFF NFL podcast. Uh, I was listening on the flight out to Chicago, you know, so I'm always listening to you guys show and uh, good luck with your charitable efforts. Again, people should just check out your show, even, even if to nothing else um, help out with a lot of the great things you're doing. So enjoy your Christmas mooses and uh, <laughs> have, have a great Christmas season with you and your, your uh, almost Philip Rivers family. Yes. Thank you. Appreciate it, Matthew. Always, always a pleasure joining you here.